Let's put this microphone on. Good morning. Lovely to see you all today, and that's some new faces, um, some old faces. I don't mean old, you know, chronologically. I just mean I've seen you many times before. Um, here we are again in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 14. If you have a Bible with you, the text will be displayed on the screen also. Um, and yeah, if you're listening to this online, I just want to say, you know, we, we don't stream this service in the morning, but we do uh, put it online in the afternoon so people can listen uh, we'll be, we include communion as part of that, so if you're listening at home uh, to this message, you can get some elements together, some grape juice or, or whatever you want to use, a little bit of bread, and you can do communion with us at that time as well. Uh, yeah, my name's Grant, and I'm pastor at New Song Church. I have the privilege to, to be here almost, almost four years now. May will be four years, although we don't really count. Two of them, two of them counted as a decade, though, right? So I've been here almost 14 years. Um... And we'll read the text in a minute. It's uh, the next section. It's really the very beginning of this passion narrative of Jesus as he makes his way toward the cross. Um, But I just want to start with the question, what is the greatest thing you have ever done for God? What is the most heroic, grand act that you have ever done for God? Have you ever given up some treasured possession or plan or activity? Have you endured persecution? Have you endured some ridicule because of your faith? Uh, Have you taken risks in order to follow what you believe was the will of God for your life? Have you given up dreams? What great things have you done? What's the greatest thing you've ever done for God? Well, we could think think about that in terms of biblical, the record of of the life of people with God in Scripture. Uh, We could look at some heroic or powerful people who have served God in probably exemplary ways throughout the history of the Word. Uh, We can start with Old Testament servants of God, and there are many. You're probably familiar with many of their names. And there's a passage in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament which kind of lists all of these. People call it like the Hall of Faith. Uh, But it's all these famous Bible characters who apparently did things that were were pretty incredible. He starts off in chapter 11 of Hebrews by mentioning Abraham and Noah and Jacob and Joseph, and Moses, and as I say these words, you probably have like images from the Charlton Heston films that you've seen, or whatever, you know, images you've seen of these stories, and then Rahab is also in there, and then he goes on to say, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Amazing, heroic people doing mighty deeds for God that are recorded in Scripture now. Then Mark, the guy who's writing this gospel, he did some pretty cool stuff for God. He took the time to write this record down of the gospel. Um, Mark's earliest readers, the people who first received this gospel, were experiencing, we believe, persecution the early signs of persecution under the Roman Empire. One of the reasons Mark's writing to them to encourage them as they experienced that. Many early Christians who suffered and died for their faith, 
the early church, the disciples, the apostle Paul, and then we can kind of go through history and think about the early church fathers, these people who you go to a dusty old library and there's volume after volume of their writings that they wrote in the earliest days of Christianity. And then reformers uh, like Martin Luther and John Calvin, great intellectuals and philosophers and missionaries like Hudson Taylor, people who served the poor with all they had, like Mother Teresa, great evangelists who were counselors to the most powerful people like Billy Graham. And what about you? What about me? What about the majority of people whose actions of sacrifice, small actions of sacrifice and mercy are never seen by anyone? Those who never even see the edge of a spotlight, never mind become someone in the light of one. And this is what we're gonna talk about today a little bit. Mark begins his gospel with these words. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. So he's saying all of what he is sharing about Christ, about Jesus, is good news. And I think in light of this question, this passage is very good news. Let's hear the word together this morning. Chapter 14, verses one to 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So this morning, as I said, we begin with the story of the final days of Jesus's earthly life. And it begins with another example of the incredible way that uh, Mark writes his gospel. He has great skill. He's very meticulous in how he puts these things together. We've said several times the chronology of these events is different in in the Gospels, and the authors put them together in a way to make an impact and a clear message. And so Mark has this thing, which he's done several times, which I'm going to call a textual sandwich, okay? Because it really is kind of a sandwich. It's two things that are similar, like bread and bread, with something in the center that is not the same as the other things, okay? This is what it looks like in this passage. The leaders plot to kill Jesus at the start. It focuses on them, the religious leaders. They are the focus. And what they're up to is dastardly, scheming to kill him. And then we have this whole story of this woman coming and anointing Jesus with with their perfume. And then the second part, which is the same as the first, is Judas goes to the leaders and he says, I will do this for you. So this short section at the beginning, interlude in the center, and then this conclusion at the end. And what it does is draw our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what is in the middle, 
because it kind of stands out. And what is in the middle is a really kind of strange story of a seemingly strange act by an unnamed woman during a meal. And we can perhaps guess at her identity if you look at some of the other Gospels. Some people say that she is Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but a different Mary. But Mark doesn't tell us that. He purposely leaves her unnamed. So what's this about? Well, one thing that this order of telling the story does is it creates strong contrasts between the person that we're we're supposed to see in the middle and then these other people on the outer edges of the story. Let's think about what the contrasts are. The first thing is what the leaders and what Judas are doing are being planned in secrecy, in the shadows. It's a strong contrast. It kind of starts with this darkness and then it goes again back into darkness at the end with the story of Judas. When we talk about the, the leaders of the, the, the teachers of the law, said they were scheming. They wanted to arrest him secretly, but not during the festival or the people may riot. And then with Judas, he went to the chief priests. You know, he didn't go there in broad daylight. He went to them to betray Jesus. He said he would do this. They were delighted. And then he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. For that perfect moment when Jesus was perhaps alone, the crowds were not around when they could do this thing. But what this woman does is in full view for all to see. Everyone in that room were witness in the light to what this woman did. The second contrast, what the leaders and Judas does is all about power and money, acquisition, gain. What this woman does is all about adoration and faith and love. Mark is building this strong contrast between what this woman does and what these outer men, these men on the outsides do. Next thing, the leaders and Judas are conspiring and they are meticulously planning every detail. This is a well-worked out plan. Their activities are premeditated and calculated and this woman's act seems completely spontaneous. There was a common act of hospitality where a guest at a meal would maybe be anointed with a small bit of perfume. Perhaps that was her intention, that she was in this party uh, and she came in and she was going to anoint. And the spontaneous response to Jesus, she breaks open this perfume bottle and she pours the entire amount onto his head in this anointing. Next thing, contrast. This good deed is done by one of the most unlikely people to do it. She's an unnamed woman. And in that culture, we've talked time and time again, women were not uh, elevated. They didn't have much status at all. And who are the other people? Well, it starts with the chief priests. These are the top men of religion in that time. And then secondly, which Mark points out, one of the 12, Judas, is one of Jesus' closest disciples. And that tells you, they should be doing great deeds. They should be doing these things, but Mark tells us that they are plotting against Jesus to kill him. And then this woman, the most unlikely person, is the one who comes and does something that Jesus affirms as beautiful and good. You know, these great leaders, I'm sure they did many, many good things. You know, we give them a bad rap sometimes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that they're all evil. I'm sure they gave great wealth often to the temple and to the people. There was many things in the religion that would be very good. And Judas also, he was one of the 12. He very likely was sent out as they went out two by two to heal. Jesus gave him authority to heal and cast out demons. And Judas was one of these people who did these great deeds. Yet, what are they remembered for? What do we remember them for? We remember them for cowardice and injustice and betrayal. 
so many heroic acts of sacrifice, and yet Jesus says this about this woman's simple act. In verse 9, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What is the result of these contrasts that he creates with this little sandwich thing? Well, it's this, that everything in this story finds its central point in this, and meaning in this act of breaking the jar of ointment over Jesus' head. Mark is pointing to it and saying, this, this, this. And I wonder, did the woman know what she was doing? Do you think this woman thought through all the implications and she's like, yeah, I'm doing this as, you know, to anoint him because he's going to die and, and then you know, it's going to be preached about for the future and it's going to be used uh, as a sort of exemplary thing for, for a future church. I don't think she knew anything of what she was doing. But I think what it was all about is her, she had this interaction with Jesus. It's all about Jesus this moment. It's all about Jesus, what she did. Her actions are swept up into the will and the work of God. It becomes part of the story of the gospel and Mark brings the story to us to teach us these things. It's all about Jesus. He is a central character. He's the one who this perfume is anointed on him. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus inspired it. His person inspired it. We see all through the gospels people who are repulsed by Jesus and we see people who are attracted to Jesus and who instinctively worship him. Peter had that moment when he said, he said, who do these people say I am? And he said this and that. And Peter said, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, God has revealed this to you, Peter. This woman, uh, Jesus inspired this woman's act towards him. The second thing, Jesus received it. He received it. He sat there and he allowed this thing to happen. He honored it. He honored this woman's act. Then he interpreted it. Jesus interpreted this. This woman, I imagine, just felt this spontaneous sense that this is what the right, was the right thing to do. And she got a real kind of like trouble for doing it. But the sense of her heart was compelled into this worshipful act over Jesus. But then Jesus interpreted it. He said, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I don't think she had any idea that that was what she was doing. But because she had this sense of connection with Jesus, she did this simple thing. And now Jesus interprets it into the story of redemption, of what is coming in the next days. And she becomes part of that redemptive story just because she came forward in response to what she felt. And she did this simple thing. Jesus called it a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. He interpreted it as being beautiful. There's two words in the New Testament for good. One of them just means a good deed. This other word, which is used here, is a good deed, but it's also something beyond that. It's something that is beautiful. And then Jesus used it. He used it to teach about the gospel that was coming. And Mark uh, puts this report in here in one of the verses, which I'm going to find. He says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus looks beyond this point, this moment that talks about death towards something where the gospel that Mark says, this is the beginning of, will be preached through all the world. And this one act becomes an embodiment, a uh, 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 just a, 
sign, a, a message of this gospel that is preached beyond his death. This is about resurrection. So here's the message of this story. If you at the beginning felt slightly guilty that you haven't done anything really, really big for God, this hopefully will be an encouragement to you because it was an encouragement to me. And I'm going to use the words of a really a great servant of God, Mother Teresa. And she said these things. Two different ways she said it. The first is, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. God does not call us to all to great things, but calls us to do small things with great love. This is the message this morning, and it's really that the community, our community is not redeemed by great heroic acts, but by simple deeds done consistently in love and by faith in Jesus, the central character of this moment. You wanna talk about great deeds, great acts? We look at Jesus. This is the message. Encapsulated in this story is, is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It almost, this woman almost unwittingly tells the gospel story which Jesus interprets and Mark shares with us in this simple, small act inspired by love and faith. He has already done the great deed. He has already accomplished the great sacrifice. We're not called to do all of these things that they talk about. Really, all that remains for us to do is to follow him in simple acts of service and worship. That's the message. And then we will trust, as in the case of this unnamed anonymous woman, that he will bring meaning and purpose and forward motion from out of our simple acts of service done with great love. Okay, you may have noticed if my helpers did, did what I asked them. Did you switch it on? Yes. Did you smell anything in the room? Some of you probably didn't if you're in the middle. Some of you are probably like feeling allergic. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, some of these stories, they work so much better when all more of our senses are involved. You know, like communion, we, we eat bread, we taste it. This stuff doesn't taste that great. But soon we'll be having real bread again, right? I'm gonna bake it every Sunday morning up at 2 a.m., but, but sometimes uh, engaging our senses, I think we, it, it's, it's right. We're human beings. We have, you know, taste and touch and smell all these things, right? So I got these diffusers with 100% organic essential oil, so you shouldn't get too, like, you know, allergic or anything. They're not fragrant candles, right? Um, it's the closest I could find to the smell of this nard, this smell um, of this fragrant perfume. Uh, it's actually ylang ylang, which is not that easy to say with a little bit of patchouli in it. But it does, it comes from a, a, a plant, it grows in Tibet and Nepal, and, and over that way there's a plant that grows. And this stuff, he said, worth like a, a year's wages. This did not cost a year's wages, it was on the church budget, it was only like $12. <laughs> so that's good. Um, but it's as close as I could get to sort of the sense of this fragrant smell, because think about this, imagine this room, okay? Um, it's lit by candles, uh, so there's this probably a smell of, you know, the candle smell of whatever kind of candles they use, beeswax, whatever. There'd be the smell of some food, maybe some sort of spicy, spicy smell, combined probably with body odor. 
These guys, these grungy guys traveling with Jesus across these dusty roads, right? They're not, they did not have Axe body spray in the early first century. So these, they're in this home of Simon the leper, he's called. And then this woman walks up behind Jesus as he reclines at the table. And she takes this alabaster jar of really expensive perfume. And she pours the entire contents onto his head. And immediately, imagine the beautiful, fragrant smells that would begin to just permeate through the room. You know, my mom studied aromatherapy for a long time, so I've been around this stuff quite a lot. And there are definitely certain scents and things that, that feel, make me feel like relaxed, you know? And people in those days used these oils and things for all kinds of reasons, medicinal and, and therapeutic. Um, but just imagine, you know, smell is one of the most evocative things that you can have. You know, I'll sometimes smell, uh, passing in a mall or something, I'll smell a certain smell. It will remind me of a day in my life when something happened or a person that I, I used to know. So perhaps uh, the men and women in that room that day started to have this perfume evoking memories for them, perhaps of encounters with loved ones, a mother or a sister. And, and then just the fact, the mere cost, the, the sort of expensive nature of this perfume, it's, it's kind of a sense of extravagance, the scent, this fragrance. Some of them respond with rebuke, thinking of the material value. They're all caught up in that. This is a waste of time and money. But really, I think what it kind of is, is kind of a glimpse of the kingdom of God. This abundance where there is no scarcity, no need to fight with others for scraps or to engage in crooked, scheming, secretive dealings to get just a little bit more. And I think also it evokes probably for some of these people memories of times of sorrow when departed loved ones were anointed with perfume for their burial. And I think that also speaks volumes about this kingdom because the kingdom of God uh, it, it, that we live in and for has equal measures of sorrow and joy. It is beautiful and yet it is broken. There's something about this fragrance that would conjure and evoke, I think, all of these memories and feelings and thoughts. And here's what I think, and the reason that I did this because I think our simple acts of service and compassion and love done from faith in love can similarly create a spreading fragrance in our community. And I have good biblical backup for this. I'm gonna share a couple of scriptures with you for you skeptics. I'm kidding. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He was in a prison and his friends sent some things to him to help him and he said they are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God and then he said uh, Ephesians he writes follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God you know, I think this, this lesson is so encouraging to us because sometimes I wonder, is what we are doing truly the thing, you know? Should we be out in the streets more often, you know, accosting people and telling them, you know, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, where would you go? Stuff like whatever, right? 
And when we're doing a lot of things that, that may on the surface apparently seem to be just like simple, I don't often know how it all connects. And this story tells me that it is worthy and it is good. Um, this woman, she did the unexpected thing. That's going to be the case sometimes. We take some twists and turns here because we're following the Holy Spirit, right? We feel compelled sometimes spontaneously to do something. I know some of us are super planners that bugs them and stuff, but sometimes it's like, hey, opportunity, go now. Like I'll just share briefly yesterday, I was coming here and I actually realized I didn't need to come because I'd already done the thing I needed to do, but I thought, I'm just going to go and see the garden because folks were working there yesterday. I wanted to see the signboard, which had now been painted with chalkboard paint with cork around it. It looked beautiful. And so I'm, I'm going to go and check it out. And I saw a guy in the garden uh, and he had a black bin bag and he was kind of looked a little lost. And so I went uh, and I, I thought, uh, I'm kind of in a hurry. I've got thinking to do at 3.30. I thought, oh, no, I'll stop. Drove around, and I'm praying, oh, Lord, be with me. What am I doing? Went across, and it was this uh, older gentleman with really bad, serious, like, burn. looks like burns and things on him, and he was very confused, um, and he was wondering where the hospital was. So first, I did the thing, like, you know, okay, I've got, like, don't have enough time to take you to the hospital. Uh, plus, you know, you don't want some strange guy in your car. So... I was like, well, it's over there, it's not far. But as he walked away, I was like, he's maybe not even going to make it to the hospital. So I said, wait there, got him in the car, drove him there, dropped him off at the emergency thing. But just like, you know, spontaneous, like, I'm like, it's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. God, this is what I'm supposed to do right now? Okay, I'm going. His name's uh, Devin, by the way. You can pray for him. Um, but uh, she did this extravagant thing, this amazing, beautiful thing. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we want to be practical, Right? And it can squish the beauty out of, you know, what we're doing. And, and it reminded me, as I was thinking about this concept, that Jesus honored her in saying, this was beautiful. And, and even the fact that it was extravagant, but he honored it and he accepted it, received it and interpreted it. And it reminded me of a time when I was in San Francisco with my daughter Kira and some other youth group. I've shared the story a few times of being there. But one of the things that really captured me, my interest in, in terms of what ministry is and what mission can look like was one of the events that we did, one of the activities. We sat in this room and there was pens and crayons and all kinds of craft stuff and paper. And we spent like an hour and a half making cards of affirmation saying, you are beautiful, God loves you, all this stuff, made cards. And then we went through all these donations of flowers from Trader Joe's and picked out all the good flowers that were left and made bouquets. And then about 10 of us wandered off into Skid Row and walked up to people and said, hey, Jesus loves you, and handed them a bunch of flowers and a card, right? And I was like, that's really intriguing. And, and so I asked about it, and they said, the woman who started this ministry a couple of years before had said this, had said, you know, these people have practical needs, of course. They need shelter, they need medical help, supplies and care and food and water. But what about beauty? What about beauty? Doesn't that something you need too, to be affirmed as a human being? It's more than just the basic needs of life but something about beauty. Human beings affirmed in the wonder and awe of they're bearing the image of God, the God who creates beautiful things. And I think that's a big part of what we're about at New Song Church. Simple deeds done over time with faith and love for our community, like the garden, the beauty of the garden. That speaks volumes about the kingdom of God. Our pantry ministry, coffee in the courtyard's coming up again. We get a chance to meet some people just times of eating together. Some of the guys got together yesterday for a barbecue. There's going to be more of those. Uh, just seeing your neighbor and saying hi 
is a simple thing and God can take that and interpret it and weave it into this redemptive story for your neighbor and it's just a simple act. You don't have to do some huge deed to save somebody. You can just simply respond to the simple things in life that God calls you to do. Giving someone a ride to church, you can't make it otherwise. You know, we got some people with us this morning that my dear brother Ken has brought to church and I think there's more folks coming, right Farid? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, it's just a simple thing, but it is in the kingdom because God is in it all. It, it can be, it can grow into something so significant that you're not even aware of what's happening. Just like this woman, God brings the significance. I want to kind of mention one thing at the end, though. Here is a there's kind of a danger here, uh, and it's in the text, uh, and it's this point where people were outraged about this, and they're saying, "Hey." That was expensive perfume, years wages, could have sold it, given the money to the poor. And I think that seems right. Wouldn't that seem like what Jesus has been saying, help the poor, care for the poor? Um, and so in alignment with all, all that Jesus has said, but here is a danger. Uh, there's a danger that we can be people who do good, but without love and without worship, we can simply become activists without that Christ being intimately involved in it. We could just think this is the right thing to do. We've got to help all these people. But when we do it as an act of worship, which is how it should be, inspired by our love for Christ and our love for others, then the simplest thing can become a powerful movement of the gospel. Jesus said a few verses before in summing up everything, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And I think this woman did that in that moment. She worshiped uh, and she shared this with the community. One last thing, um, anyone can do it. Anyone can do this in the simplest possible way. All of us are equipped to do this. You may not be capable of doing these great heroic acts, but you could do something because it is not by accident that Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper that's where it takes place. Whether he's someone who's been healed by Jesus, I don't know, but he is a man who's spent most of his life marginalized and on the outs and done by a woman, a woman who has very little status in that place. It tells us that anyone can do this. If you simply say, show me what to do today, God. Show me moments, show me opportunities, show me people and help me to serve them. We are going to take communion now as a means of saying amen to this and to respond. Another meal is going to take place, the Passover meal, which next week Josh is going to talk about that, where Jesus invited his friends together. And once again, you know, it was a, a time of celebration. They're celebrating their freedom from Egypt out of slavery. But once again, Jesus interprets this meal, this moment, and brings such more significance to it in terms of what is coming, that he will give his life for them. And so he took bread, and after he'd broken it, he gave it to each of them and said, take and eat, this is my body.
I think what is also significant in the Passover meal, the time with his disciples, is that Jesus is the one who serves them and even washes their feet. He's the perfect example of this, the things that he did. He said, we should do likewise to be the ones who serve. And he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you that we are welcome, just as we are. Thank you that you love us just as we are, but you also love us too much to leave us the way we are. You're working in us, and as we serve, we grow, we mature, we change, we face challenges, but we are assured of your abiding love and purpose with us. Oh Lord, take our simple acts done from faith and love and Lord, you use them as you wish to transform this community. Help those of us today who are feeling particularly beaten up, unworthy, ill-equipped, to realize that they too are welcome, invited, capable, and part of this body that we each belong. For we pray in Jesus' name.